From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. And thanks for inviting me into your home, wherever you are. However you may be listening to the show, I pray you are safe, warm, dry, and well-fed. Just a reminder, Season 3 of my TV show, The Conspiracy Show, debuts across Canada on Vision TV on August 11th at 10 p.m. Eastern, August 11th. 13 brand new episodes, including The Water Engine. You may uh, have seen the Stanley Myers uh, YouTube video where he, the late Stanley Myers, and we also delve into his murder, or whether or not he was murdered. Stanley Myers purported, uh, purportedly developed an engine uh, that was placed in a dune buggy, which he drove across America using only water. Uh, we'll also delve into the Marilyn Monroe death and whether the there was an, uh, a Robert F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy connection to her death, the assassination of John Lennon. We're also presenting an episode on Jim Morrison and whether or not he may have faked his death. That's Season 3, Vision TV, August 11th at p.m. Eastern. And for those of you listening in the United States, some of our older episodes are now playing on Destination America, which is part of the Discovery Channel family, Destination America. And, of course, let me remind you, if you haven't already done so, please register at richardserrett.com. Once you're a member, you gain access to the members-only areas of the website, the past show archive, past guests, books and DVD features of the week archive. And, of course, you're also automatically signed up for my free newsletter, The Dead Drop. Go to richardserrett.com, click on the blue member area login button on the left-hand side up near the top. Uh, for those of you familiar with The Conspiracy Show, you know we talk a lot about UFOs, ETs, abductions. Uh, but admittedly, uh, the Roswell case, the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident, or as it's known in the U.S., the Bentwaters UFO case, they get a lot of attention. What gets neglected are the multitude of credible UFO sightings in Canada. So I thought I'd redress that tonight and talk about some fascinating UFO cases in a particular region of Canada, namely the Maritime Provinces. Perhaps the best-known UFO case to take place in Canada, you might even call it our Roswell, was the Shag Harbor UFO incident, in which there was reported the impact of an unknown large object into waters near Shag Harbor, which is a tiny fishing village in, in Nova Scotia, back on October the 4th, 1967. The reports were investigated by various um, civilian the RCMP, the Canadian Coast Guard, military, the Royal Canadian Navy, the Royal Canadian Air Force, agencies of the Government of Canada, and the U.S. Condon Committee. So we're going to talk about Shag Harbor, but that's not all. There's also been a number of intriguing abduction cases that allegedly took place in Atlantic Canada. My guest tonight has written arguably the definitive book on the subject of the... Uh, 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 sorry, uh, the, the definitive book on the uh, subject entitled... The Maritime UFO Files, which is a collection of some 140 UFO incidents in Atlantic Canada, some of which predate the famous Kenneth Arnold sighting of 1947. Don Ledger is a writer, author, pilot, and researcher. He's appeared in numerous document documentaries on radio and television programs, like um, talking about the unidentified flying object phenomenon that has been in vogue since 1947. Don has given lectures all over North America about the UFO phenomenon, specifically the Shag Harper incident, which captured the world's attention upon the publication of his book Dark Object, which he co-wrote with Chris Stiles back in 2001. His current book 
is the mystery suspense novel Bloodshock, which can be seen at uh, Amazon.ca. Other books published uh, by Don Ledger can be seen on his website at DonLedger.com. They include the critically acclaimed book Swiss Air Down, the chronicling of the crash of Swiss Air Flight 111 off Peggy's Cove, Nova Scotia in 1998. And, of course, the aforementioned Maritime UFO Files. Don Ledger, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm not bad, Richard. How are you tonight? Very well, thank you. Why is it that Shag Harbor doesn't get the attention uh, I'm sure you think it deserves, and I believe so as well? Um, actually, uh, it's uh, as far as attention goes, I think it's, it hasn't done too badly. I, I you know, it's probably not uh, uh, of uh, Roswell's fame and uh, uh, possibly uh, Rendlesham. But, uh, you know, it's been getting along pretty good on its own over the years. I mean, I've, myself and and the and uh and Chris Stiles, uh, the on the odd occasion has been out on the road uh, you know um, uh talking about the uh, the incident in Shag Harbor in 67 and it's a, a, a what's uh, arresting about the case is the fact that it had so much documentation attached to it it wasn't uh, there's no doubt it occurred you know you didn't have to go uh beating the bushes looking for witnesses or anything like that they were all over the place down there plus you know, the newspapers were writing about it. The Air Force was involved. The Navy was involved, you know. And, uh, you know, a pretty uh, pretty articulated case when you come right down to it. Well, it, it, does it not hold the distinction of being one of the, the world's few government-documented UFO cases? In other words, governments have admitted in documents that this was a, a genuine case of an unidentified flying object. Yeah, exactly. The uh, the what was called the air desk in Ottawa back in 1967. That was where UFO reports would go uh, in Canada and uh, probably down into the states. And uh, but uh, and uh, this would be the last year, or at least the, the dying months, you know, of 1967, early 68, uh, just about the time that the uh, uh, Project Blue Book faded out of the out of the picture, um, and they turned their um, their documentation over to anybody else that wanted to to uh, take uh, you know UFO reports they gave up on them the same thing happened here in Canada which was you know kind of odd considering uh you know the uh, uh the, the both both governments had been heavily involved in investigating the investigation of UFOs since back in the late 40s and i suspect even further back than that probably right into the uh you know maybe at the first of the se- first of the second world war uh, because you know what they call foo fighters and so on right. back in those days, but um, yeah, uh, strangely enough, it all sort of faded out after Shag Harbor and after the Condon uh, report down in the United States. Uh, that was an American uh, cop out, really. You know, the military used that one to. Uh, they didn't solve anything. You know, most of the cases, uh, two thirds of their cases, weren't solved in uh, the Condon report. And uh, and yet they said, well, I guess that's it. We sold everything, you know, and they gave up on it. But they were just looking for a way to get out of this thing. And but uh, same thing happened here in Canada. So the UFO desk in uh, in uh, or the air desk, I should say, in Ottawa, uh, you know, received the uh, reports uh, of this unidentified flying object fairly quickly from the Rescue Coordination Center in Halifax, which was, you know, quasi-military. Uh, uh, well, it, it, military civilian, uh, by civilian I mean uh, RCMP, and, uh, you know, ground forces and uh, c- civilian ground forces that would look for, you know, people that were lost or, you know, ships lost at sea and so on and so forth, or aircraft lost. 
And that's what happened in, uh, back in, uh, on, on the night of October 4th, 1967, when this thing went into the harbor. Yeah, well, let's, let's spend a, f- a few moments. Uh, we have some time. Let's, let's talk about it in, in some detail for those who, who may not be familiar with what happened in August or October of 1967. Uh, yeah. This well, it was uh, actually the night. The night itself was uh, it was uh, a kind of a, it was a UFO evening. We called it the night of the UFOs in the book, and uh, there was uh, at least uh, 30 that we were aware of. 30 UFO uh, different UFO reports around southwest, the, the southern portion of Nova Scotia, and. Um, but uh, one in particular, of course, was on you know on the night of 1967 in uh, down in Shag Harbor area. Uh, a couple of fishermen were coming back from a um, a function in uh, Cape Sable Island at a community center. There, it was a Wednesday night. Uh, it was about 20 to 25 after 12. These were two young fellows. They were only 18 years old at the time, and they'd been over to some this function and. Uh, they had uh, one of them, Lori Wickens. He had his, his friend with him, and uh, three girls in the back seat. They were driving them home, and they were on the east side of Shag Harbor, heading into Shag Harbor, when they noticed uh, a series of um, a, a row of lights in the sky off to the right side of the road on Old Highway Number Three in Nova Scotia, which is still there, and it's just pretty much the same as it was then. Um, and, but as they as they watched it, uh, it it went. Parallel to the car, maybe up about a thousand or two thousand feet, uh, traveling with them, and then started to cut across the front of the car, you know, not close, but uh, you know, maybe about a thousand feet away, and uh, they were following this thing and trying to keep up with it because they didn't know what the heck it was. Uh, uh, they, their guess was at the time that it was an airplane of some description. Uh, they went through Shag Harbor. And uh, out the other side of Shag Harbor, it doesn't take very long. Even today, it's not a very big little. Vi- it's not a very big village. Um, and uh, on the other side of Shag Harbor, there's a, an area called Maggie Garrens Point. And uh, they crossed that point. And uh, on the far side of that, they just lost sight of it as it went down behind the trees and seemed to be going down at about a 45 degree angle. And they were they thought it was going to crash into the harbor or the water just off of the harbor to the west side of the harbor. And they got past the tree line, and then they came right over towards onto the edge of the ocean. And um, there's, a, there's a, a building there that's still there today, which back in the day was a, an Irish moss plant. They used to gather Irish moss, and I, they apparently it's used to make iodine or something. And uh, when they got to this uh, uh, position, uh, there's a large gravel parking lot there. So they pulled in on that, and that's right on the edge of the water. And um, and they got out, and they saw this light floating on the water, or what they described as a pale yellow light and a dark object drifting or under its own power, uh, apparently with the tide. Uh, or they figured maybe it was under its own power, too. They were concerned because they thought it was uh, a, an aircraft. So they went to, um, or an airliner or something of that description. So they went, they got back in the car and went uh, about a half mile further down the road into Lower Woods Harbor, the next village down, and uh, found a payphone down there. And they, uh, Lori called the um, RCMP back in uh, in Barrington Passage, which was on the opposite side of Shag Harbor from him, and said that they thought that they saw an airplane crash into the sound next to Shag Harbor. Um, Victor Wurbicki was the... Um, uh, corporal on duty that night, and he asked him uh, if he was uh, had, had been drinking. And Lori said, "No, I haven't been drinking." And uh, 
was a little uh, ticked off that he was asked that question. They always ask that, don't they? Yeah, well, they did back in those days. If you read a lot of RCMP yeah. reports in those days, it always said that the subject seemed, seemed to be a sober, sober individual and did not appear to be drinking. Listen, we, we're coming up on a break here, Don. We'll okay, pick it up sure. on the other side as we continue to talk about Shag Harbor. And it wasn't just those uh, two fishermen who saw it. There were about, I believe, all total, about 12 uh, people yeah. who uh, who heard this whoosh, a whistling sound like a bomb, and then finally a loud bang uh, before seeing this object floating in the Gulf of Maine near Shag Harbor. The Shag Harbor UFO incident with Don Ledger. Back with more of our conversation right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Don Ledger is with us, writer, author, pilot. Uh, he also um, writes a regular aviation column and writes for various magazines. Uh, he's got a brand new book out. Uh, and this is a, um, a mystery suspense novel entitled Blood Shock. But right now we're sort of dialing it back uh, to 2001 uh, and talking about his, uh, his book he co-authored with Chris Stiles entitled Dark Object. And that is, of course, about the... Uh, Shag Harbor UFO incident in 1967. So we have about 11, 12 witnesses who hear this whooshing sound, a loud bang, and then all of a sudden they see this, some sort of a craft floating in the Gulf of Maine uh, off of a Shag Harbor. Uh, and at what, at what point does the Canadian military become involved in a subsequent recovery uh, rescue effort? Uh, yeah, well, that night they... Um because they uh, the uh, the RCMP had called the um, rescue coordination center in Halifax because not only had uh, Lori Wickens uh, called in that he thought an airplane might have crashed into the sound, but uh, several other people around the area had called it in at just about the same time, and uh, he asked Lori to stay where he uh, uh, to return to the uh, uh, Irish Moss plant and keep an eye on it. Um, sure, you know within a uh, you know. Very few minutes after this, the uh, other people started coming in, uh, you know, rolling into the lot and uh, and asking Lori what was going on and what was that thing out in the water, I suppose. And uh, then the RCMP showed up. By the time they got there, there was at least a dozen people standing around. And, you know, during the, uh, the ensuing, uh, you know, 20, 25 minutes, there was as many as 24 there from what we understand now. Uh, even one uh, of a former premier in Nova Scotia was coming back from, he wasn't a premier then, but he would be th- uh, three years later. And um, he just happened by at the time, was standing there looking out and watching this thing too. I didn't know that until back a couple of years ago. But anyway, so uh, because the Rescue Coordination Center had been alerted, you know, who would uh, alert the Navy and uh, and the Quite often they alert fishing boats in the area too to uh, sure. go out and have a, to search as they did. If, right. uh, which I found it kind of strange the similarity between this a UFO case and this crash of Swiss Air Flight 111 about how the thing started up. You know, with people out looking on the water with fishing boats and so on, and the Navy getting involved. But anyway, the, the shortness because uh, you know I've, I've I've given lectures on this thing and I can talk for three hours just trying to get the whole story in. Right. But uh, so anyway. They did get a couple of fishermen. They went out on the water, and they went out to the uh, western approach uh, uh, past the Megagaris Point, ran across the, the famous uh, glittery yellow foam, didn't know what that was, tried to take samples of it out on the water. 
Um, but this time the uh, Coast Guard cutter over at uh, Cape Sable Island in Clark's Harbor had fired up and was on its way over, and it took about an hour to get there. And uh, it came over with news from RCC that there was uh, no air, aircraft missing or anything. They do a normal search like that when anybody says they, are, uh, when there's reports of an aircraft maybe crashing, they'll they'll do a, an airport search, uh, uh, trying to discover if uh, an airplane is missing. And uh, this night they couldn't do the all up and down the eastern seaboard really of not just Canada but down into the states. Right. And nothing was missing, and so then that left the, the fishermen. By this time, there were six boats out there, plus the Coast Guard cutter, uh, wondering, well, what the heck were they looking for? What was out on, had happened on the water? Uh, before the uh, Mounties had left the area there to go out on the fishing boats, this thing had apparently sunk. Either that or the light went out. When the fishermen went out there and the Mounties went out there, they fully expected to find uh, floating wreckage. They expected to find... Uh, maybe survivors or even bodies. Right, of, right. Uh, and there were about 10 RCMP officers at the scene, were there not? Uh, there were three. Three. Yeah. Actually, there was four, but uh, the, he, he just happened by. But uh, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't on duty at the time. And uh, another one involved further over uh, across the province watching an object, you know, maybe 10 minutes before that, heading over towards the Shag Harbor area, him and, uh, and uh, three game wardens. Uh, they rode at night uh, looking for uh, deer uh, Deer poachers, or as they call them, or deer jackers down in this area. So, anyway, the thing of it was, this quickly went, we quickly went from Wednesday night on October, you know, October the fourth into October the fifth into the morning on Thursday. And by this time, now the RCC had contacted Ottawa. Ottawa had contacted Maritime Command in uh, in Halifax. Maritime Command, uh, uh, you know, uh, alerted their uh, uh, fleet diving unit because they uh, thought they might be looking for something underwater and so it was Friday afternoon about one o'clock when uh, the divers finally got to the site uh, and uh, started diving in the water and they dove from about uh, one o'clock in the afternoon till six o'clock that night and they couldn't find anything on the bottom and were ready to give it up but the RCC told them to keep going until they were told to stop and they did they kept going right up until Sunday night but they never found anything, uh, and uh, the uh, story sort of ended there. Uh, but uh, not the uh, not the uh, the UFO documents that came from the RCMP and from the uh, the military CFA, uh, CFAO, uh, which are called Canadian Forces Action Orders, 71-6 uh, UFO reporting forms and uh, and uh, action orders coming from Ottawa to uh, Halifax and from Halifax to the diving unit and so on and so forth. So there's something like 30 documents there, plus the fact that the uh, Herald, uh, Halifax Chronicle Herald on Friday uh, put out a newspaper uh, uh, headline, two inches high in red. Now, this is the oldest newspaper in in, uh, in eastern Canada and probably in Canada. And uh, these, it was a very conservative paper. It wasn't a kind of paper that would do this sort of thing. And it had two-inch high banner headlines saying maybe something concrete to UFO crash in Shake Harbor, uh, RCAF, which the, the Air Force was called back then, of course, is now. But um, anyway, so this thing uh, after that point just sort of shut down, and then it went to the went into the story phase that we, uh, uh, as we call it, because we had no documentation, but we had anecdotal evidence of it from military personnel and so on of. Uh, this thing apparently going underwater up in towards Shelburne, off of, off the mouth of Shelburne Harbor, which is about 23 miles 
further up to the northeast and divers diving on a couple of objects on the bottom. Six or seven ships over, camped over top and submarine, you know, a, a couple of frigates, um, destroyers, I should say, and even maybe possibly an American uh, submarine in the area as well. But um, the um, it it just uh, it just got so convoluted with uh, different stories and uh, from different people that it was hard to keep track of it. Well, and I believe the Chronicle Herald ran another story, uh, and uh, you talked about it being a conservative paper. The, the headline was UFO search called off. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had um, back then the uh, the owner of the, the paper was uh, Harold Dennis, and uh, he called in Ray McLeod, who was the guy that wrote the original story that had the banner headline on it, and he's the guy that interviewed uh, Squadron Leader Vane at the air, air desk in Ottawa, who told him that you know he'd. Uh, he didn't know what they were seeing down there that night, but he himself had seen an unidentified flying object while flying a, uh, I believe it was a, a CF-100 at the time, back when he was flying. And um, so the um, the story, uh, uh, Ray McLeod was taken off the story. He wrote about three different stories, and then he was taken off the story because he was told he was scaring people. And um, which was a little hard to believe. We're not sure what happened there. Another guy was assigned to the stories, and after that, the stories just sort of went wishy-washy. They didn't have any substance to them. And um, the uh, the you know, as far as scaring people down here, I mean, people have been you know putting up with uh, dying at sea for years and years and sure. years. You know, fishermen and so on, thousands of them. And mine disasters and air disasters and all the rest of them and the Halifax explosion and uh, back in 1917, you know that sort of thing. So I don't think people down here were that easily scared, particularly particularly fishermen, you know. So why do you do you have any theories as to why he was pulled off the story? Yeah, I think somebody, you know, maybe uh, he was, uh, you know, got, you know, somebody called, you know, maybe saying, well, you know. You're giving this a lot of credibility by writing about this in a you know a major Canadian newspaper, and uh, uh, you know maybe you're not doing the right right thing here. You know you're going to get people upset and so on and so forth. It's hard to say. This has happened before. We lost a, a good investigator, uh, or you know a, a few uh, about a week ago, I guess Richard Hansen, who wrote yes, the Missing yes, Times. You're yes. aware of him, eh? Yes, died in his well, sleep. That, you know that's that's a well-known thing among. You know, it can happen with the uh, with the news and uh, how these stories get pulled. It's happened in the states and uh, it's happened here. That other book, uh, Maritime UFO Files, was a result of my my research and Chris Stiles. He had researched, done some research, told me about these uh, files that were available from the federal government through the library loaner system. And back then, it was about seventy seven hundred uh, cases, UFO cases. So I got them uh, uh, the uh, RG67 files, which are microfilm, and I went through, it took me three months to go through those. I, I was able to keep extending my time that I was able to keep them at the Halifax uh, Regional Library, the main branch, and um, and every once in a while I'd run across one that was peculiar to the Maritimes. And, you know, and Maritimes, of course, are Nova Scotia, PEI, and New Brunswick, and then there's Newfoundland Labrador. Right. And uh, so uh, all of those, I, I gathered as many as I could. There was about 500 of them. Because of that, when I was going through them, I was thinking, my, my, you know, there's a story here. And uh, so I put together a book. I used about 140 to 150 of the best cases. Right. And, uh, that that resulted in the book Maritime UFO Files. Well, and, and what is fascinating to me is that, is that many of those... 
uh, not many, but there are some prominent cases that predate uh, the 1947 Kenneth Arnold sighting, which is sort of ground zero for the whole flying saucer phenomena. You go back to the late 18th century. Yeah. Um, uh, tell me about that. Yeah, that was a... Uh, 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 I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He was a judge, was he not? He was a judge. Was he was a judge, wasn't he? Yeah, that? Simeon Perkins, his name was. Um, there's actually a museum down in uh, in uh, in Liverpool, Nova Scotia, with uh, with uh, you know where he was a judge at the time, and he'd uh, uh, taken a report from uh, a couple of uh, men that were over in the New Minas area, which is on the opposite side of Nova Scotia and further up up the coast, you know, or up up around Kemple in the Annapolis Valley area. And uh, having him, those two men and a 13-year-old girl having seen a ship in the sky that they said was, well, seven, you know, five ships in the sky, actually, in a straight line traveling along. And, of course, stylized with a, a man over, standing outward with his hand pointing forward and uh, reported this to uh, the judge. And um, and he wrote, wrote, you know, wrote it up as a curious uh, item, and uh, we picked up on it. Um, the, uh, which, you know, to me sounds like uh, ships in the sky back in those days, the, 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 the leading technology, uh, back in the late 1700s would have been, uh, you know, sailing ships and, uh, or a hot air balloon or a hot air balloon. Yeah. At the, at the most, it was just a curious one and it was a way to lead off the book. And then of course, you know, I had them up in, uh, 19, uh, I believe it was 24, 1932, another one in 39. Some of them similar, quite similar. The one in 1932 was, uh, wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a Canadian pilot, it was a Danish pilot. We was flying up off the uh, Canadian coast though, um, and, uh, spotted a, an unaffected, and this was a very, you know, just pretty much the same way as you would get the reports today of, a, of an old void object following along, uh, behind him, and, uh, or coming up alongside of him, I believe, off to his right side. I don't have the book in front of me now, and uh, it's been a while since I read my own book. But the uh, the object, he he felt there was malevolence there. You know that uh, that it did not uh, mean him mean him any goodwill or anything like that. When he's in an open cockpit airplane, probably sure. freezing to death as he's flying along too. Back in those days. But uh, anyway, they went on from there, and uh, I, I sprinkled a few of those in, and then they pick up again back in 1947, curiously enough. And, of course, as we know now, these things seem to go back for centuries and centuries. Yes, but, uh, yes. The, the Ken Arnold uh, case just seemed to, for some reason, triggered in the public mind, and, and, and they picked up on it, and it just went on from there. Oh, I just wanted to go back to Shag Harbor for a moment. Uh, sure. We have a break coming up. But what, one of the, I guess, perhaps one of the missing elements in the story... Uh, that uh, that you know Roswell has that Re- that Bent Waters or Rendlesham has and some others have is uh, a cover up. I mean, there doesn't seem to be that that angle to Shag Harbor. Could that be one of the reasons? Although it's a famous incident, maybe hasn't captured the attention like a Roswell. Well, that could be. Uh, if there's any cover up, it's the cover up of the second part of the story, which is uh, uh, you know the uh, military witnesses that came forward after the fact. Um, you know, many years later, about what the, uh, you know that this thing, the biggest story, took place uh, up off of uh, Shelburne uh, when it was seen know, traveling underwater. Had, yeah, traveling underwater and going up there, and then they had uh, again the fleet diving unit was involved. And when uh, actually, Chris Stiles had a friend uh, who was a his father was a trainer 
uh, a diving trainer at uh, the at the fleet diving unit. That's the naval unit, um, by the way, uh, in in Halifax. And um, he asked him if he could ask his father if he could maybe get the uh, names of the guys that were involved in the dive down at Shag Harbor. And his father said, "Yeah, the guy Fenn Senior was his name, Guy Fenn, and he was a senior. The son was the same name, Junior there. But he he um, he got." names and he and chris got the names and when he went to check them out uh, the first guy he uh, actually the first fellow has actually passed away already from cancer but anyway uh when chris got the onto the second fellow he said that uh oh yeah but it wasn't in shag herb it was off shelburne and, and chris said oh yeah he said yeah shelburne shag herb is in shelburne county Right, and, right. Uh, but uh, he said, no, 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 we were off the mouth of the harbor, off McNutt's Island, Shake Harbor, or uh, Shelburne Harbor. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, he kept bumping into this story, and then I started bumping into it myself, and then some other people came along that were involved that were in the Air Force, uh, a couple other military per- personnel. I see you've got to go there. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll take a time out, uh, Don. Okay. And uh, we'll, con- we'll pick it up on the other side. Sure. The Maritime UFO Files with Don Ledger right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Writer, author, pilot Don Ledger is with us, and uh, his book is The Maritime UFO Files. Uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, about missing time uh, and, and uh, the alien abduction phenomenon. First of all, with, with Shag Harbor, I know that previous to the actual crash of this craft into into the uh, Gulf of Maine. There were a number of, uh, about a dozen sightings or, or more, uh, but did any of them involve missing time? Um, I, I don't think I ran across, or, or, or neither did Chris, across anything to do with missing time uh, regarding uh, Shag Harbor, but uh, there was a mention by a couple witnesses um there were some strange coincidences going on here, running into people years later that uh, who were actually from the area and had experienced some weird, uh, uh, had some weird experiences, I should say. But you know, during the uh, during that time period, we're, we're talking about a week uh, from uh, you know October fourth uh, uh, to the eleventh. Um, in that area, there was a lot of weird goings on, particularly up towards Shelburne. Um, but uh, I, I can't ever remember anybody ever mentioning anything about missing time. Although the other documents that I and and, and my own personal uh, investigations of some people down here, which it was an area that I wasn't even prepared to go into, Richard. To be honest with you, when I first got involved in this, and I've been at this 25 years now, but I you sort of get drawn in because the the, the you know the character of the witnesses and so on. Well, but, but and you do you do document some abduction cases in, in uh, the maritime UFO files, yeah, right? Yeah, and um, the um, and and since then as well, you know, I've got a really excellent one with a retired uh, military officer and his uh, driver. This again was in Nova Scotia, and uh, in the middle of the day during daytime, daylight hours when they're coming back from uh, Camp Gagetown and uh, down in in. Uh, <clears throat> In New Brunswick, you know, that's a huge training area, military training area. Not only the Canadian military train there, but the U.S. come up and train, and some European uh, uh, troops come over to train, you know. Right. And uh, But the uh, uh, and this particular one involved a huge, monster, monstrous, unidentified flying object 
uh, hovering over a small town, not far from where uh, an airfield where I fly my airplane. And um, the, um, the the thing of it is, when they spotted the aircraft, uh, uh, him and the driver, they pulled over the side of the road, and they were in a nice clear area to see it too. Um, the um, when he got back in the car uh, and, and noticed the time, he uh, two hours had gone missing, just like that. You know, they stopped to look at this thing at around two o'clock, and when they got back in the car, it was here. It was ten after four. My word! Both he and his son corroborated. It that. wasn't his son; it oh. was a, a driver. A driver, a sorry, military driver. Yeah. Okay, they both corroborated. Yeah, but um, the um, you know, and, and over the years, he's asked me several times if I can explain this to him, and I said, uh, well, I, I you know, I've told you my explanation for it, and he's had other weird experiences, for, you know, in his life too, so. Um, and what was your expl- what was your explanation for it? Well, to tell them, you know, that uh, you're not the only one to have this experience. You know that this happened before when unidentified flying objects are concerned. You know, particularly, uh, uh, you know, a monster like this thing they, you know, the thing they saw that day, and uh, the, um, it's, you know, it, you don't know it's coming. It, it always seems to happen when you least expect it. This type of thing, as a lot of things do in life, I guess. But in this particular instance, uh, you know, there was just an innocent afternoon driving a car back, heading back to a base in Nova Scotia. i got to be very careful what I tell you here because this guy does not want his name mentioned in public because he's a public figure. Understandably so, yeah. yes. And um, so and I've had others contact me about this uh, sort of thing. I remember getting back from a trip down to the United States, and I wasn't in the house 10 minutes when the phone rang, and it was a call from a fellow in B.C., very uh, well-connected, highly regarded, uh, respected financier in, in British Columbia who was having these experiences for years. And he, uh, why he called me, I don't know, right across the country. He must have got my name somewhere. And, uh, uh, you know, I put him on to some people out in British Columbia to, uh, that, would, that could do some, you know, maybe help him, suggest some people he could talk to and so on. There's a very few people in, uh, in this business that can... Uh, Really talk with authority about uh, you know like Bud Hopkins and so on. And, right, uh, and we lost him. Yeah, we lost him. Uh, so it was David Jacobs. David and... Jacobs is still going, and right. uh, Don Dondery, up uh, who's now retired and professor from uh, university in uh, uh, <clears throat> in uh, I believe it was York University, if I remember correctly. He used to uh, Bud Hopkins used to refer cases to him. But uh, and I'm no ex- expert that, uh, I'm, uh, in that area myself. You know, as to doing. Uh, uh, I've never done any uh, regressions or anything like that. I, no, I understand you're not a big fan of that. Well, uh, I I don't want to mess around with people's heads, <laughs> and there seems to be a real problem here. But there are people that have the ability uh, better 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 at it than I am, you know, more knowledgeable than I am to to do that sort of thing. So I've, I just I would rather defer to the experts, you know. But you said that you were hesitant to, to even get into the into researching alien abductions. Why is that? Well, because it's, um, for the very reasons I just explained, I, I really have no expertise in that area. Uh, you know, when it comes to unidentified flying objects, I, I've got a lot of experience with aircraft. You know, I've been flying for about 34 years now, and I've been interested in, uh, you know, uh, aircraft ever since I was a kid. So I've, I've airplanes, 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 airplanes. But when it comes to abductions, when you seem to be getting into a psychological side here, and uh, not only psychological but the physical side of it as well, you know, um, that's um, that's not. I'm not. I have I have very little. Ex- 
experience in that side of it. You know, I, but as I you say, it, it draws you in. It does draw you in. Yeah. All right. Listen, okay. Don, we'll take a, t- a quick time out. We'll come back and continue our conversation. Don Ledger, writer, author, pilot, the Maritime UFO Files. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Don Ledger is uh, with us, and we continue to talk about maritime UFO cases. Don, how would you compare, let's say, for example, your colleagues in the United States who are trying to uh, research UFO cases and, and, and often, oftentimes uh, with FOIA requests and so forth will will uh, really be stymied and, and uh, have all these obstacles and hurdles to overcome because of the, I guess, the secrecy and so forth. How do you compare that with... Uh, your work here in Canada. Is the government more cooperative, disinterested? How, how do you view Yeah, No, they're not more cooperative. If anything, it's, it's harder to get cases up here, get the files up here than it is in the United States. Their Freedom of Information Act seems to have more teeth in it than ours does up here. Uh, you, you have to... <clears throat> what I usually run up against is the fact that, well, we're really understaffed, we don't have much of a budget, you know, we, we don't have the time to research this stuff so we can send it to you. And um, sometimes you, they would foot drag over the, the smallest little details, uh, you know, ship movements in Halifax, for instance, you know, going back to Shea Garber again, trying to find out what ships were moving around. And uh, we'd have to go to the newspapers to read the shipping news to see what was going on. But if you were looking for naval vessels and so on and specific reasons where they were going, what they were doing and so on, you just couldn't get any information. And uh, and. As far as I know, and I'm not the only one that's complaining about that. I mean, you get people in all walks of life, uh, newspaper reporters, uh, you know, and normal stories just trying to get information out of the government, whether it be federal, municipal, or, or provincial, you know, is always a problem. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, in the United States, it seems that, and in England, uh, they seem to be able to get more details from uh, uh, from their government through their Freedom of Information Act, and uh, which we, uh, more so than we can here. I, and sometimes I, I, you know, I often envy them down there. The, 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 the detail they can get. Look, uh, the, uh, uh, the Black Vault. There, um, see, young fellow's name. I've forgotten his name. Oh, Greenwald. Uh, yeah. He. Uh, I'm sorry, but I've been traveling for three days now. I'm kind of. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jonathan Greenwald. Yeah, Jonathan Greenwald. I've known him for years, and I've forgotten his name. Of course, his old age as well kicking in here. Uh, but. Um, yeah, it, you know, the, uh, the 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 depth of the uh, information that he's managed to get from his government, I, I can't imagine that ever happening here in Canada. Well, in in Britain, for example, they had that big uh, dump of of UFO files. Uh, have we had anything like that uh, here in Canada? No. Uh, well, we the UFO files we did have were were there. Just nobody knew they were there to look for. Uh, the, when I, I think I mentioned, you know, the RG77 or RG76 files, the um, the microfilm um, that we were able to obtain, which is a microfilm, and then you blow it up on the screen viewer that you see on the uh, that you use in the old library readers. They don't they don't have that stuff anymore. It's all computerized now. But back then, there was around 7,700 UFO reports. Uh, now I use quote marks on either side of my head for that one um, because. Um, the uh, some of the stuff that was in there was just complete garbage. It was gobbledygook. It didn't make any sense. Uh, it wasn't reports. It was you know some guy, for instance, wrote in pages. It must have been about a hundred or 150 pages of just letters on a page, just just symbols and so on. They didn't mean anything. 
but they went in. They got per. They got. They went into the files and they were recorded. Uh, after 1967, after the air dust stopped taking uh, the uh, UFO reports, uh, it went to the uh, to the National Research Council in Ottawa, and uh, they they were supposed to take the UFO reports. So when RCMP officers or anybody else uh, took a a UFO report, you know, uh, they do do it up triplicate, send it off to the National Research Council. The National Research Council would shift through them, sift through them. They had seven or eight scientists across the country who were involved with uh, uh, astronomy, look at them and, and sift out the uh, what might be uh, meteor reports, so that they could uh, maybe triangulate, possibly find remains of a meteor somewhere. That's all they were interested in. The rest of them, they just they just ignored those and didn't investigate them at all. So there was no investigation after 1967 at all, or, or say uh, the 67, 68, uh, early in 68. And uh, the Herzog, Herzog Institute at the National Research uh, was contracted by the National Research Council. They, they had a lot of the reports, but they were usually the ones that were the uh, media for meteor files. Uh, have, have you noted any improvement in uh, in the... Reportage of of UFO sightings by mainstream media in Canada. Um, no, actually, you know, it seems nowadays that the uh, uh, the detail that you get now compared to what you used to get back in the day, because uh, quite often, you know, if a newspaper story came out with a came out about a UFO report, it would might, could be followed up for days. Uh, the RCMP or the police, they would uh, do a, de- a fairly detailed report, you know, with as much as they could do with, say, one constable on scene or something, you know, in some remote spot, and uh, and write it up. And uh, and usually it, it, it always said at the end that the matter ended here, you know, because they had no way of solving it. They didn't know what it was. Uh, they, they, they might go to the Air Force or, or you know or civilian aviation and ask them if they had any aircraft over the area at the time. But but they did that at least back in the day. But now you don't even get that. I've uh, run across uh, uh, reports. People will email me and uh, re- report something, so I'll contact. If if they if if they email me within a short length of time, I, I did one down here back in uh, 2003. I know that's going back some, but. Uh, it was a fairly detailed uh, uh, report of a UFO by a person down in Cow Bay, Nova Scotia. I wrote it up, and uh, and uh, it'll be in my, one of my next books. Um, the uh, of an object, and this was one of these huge triangular objects passing over a woman's house down at a place called Cow Bay, not far from uh, Shearwater, uh, uh, CFB Shearwater, and. Uh, on the dark side of the harbor from Halifax, but anyway, this uh, this thing uh, I contacted s- several newspapers to see if they'd gotten any reports. And the RCMP, I contacted them. I also contacted the Halifax police, the Darkwood police, and so on, see if anybody had uh, picked up on this one. And somebody called me back from one of the newspapers and uh, would, and uh, asked me some more questions about it. But that very next day, I was going away for on vacation for about ten days, and. Uh, before I knew it, when I got, uh, I ran into some friends up in uh, uh, Toronto area here, and uh, they said, "No, well, I see, uh, you know, you had that case thing going on down in Nova Scotia." And I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "It was on TV." I said, "It was." He said, "Yeah, and, and it, it, this thing really got legs. It was, it was in the French newspapers in, in the in, in France. I mean, 
you know, in the English newspaper, even a Japanese newspaper reported this. So it picked it up on wire, right, on, online, you know, off the wire or sure. something like that, and it went with it. it. It's amazing how this will get legs because it had that little interest factor in there, you know, so a, a woman alone at night watching this thing cross over her lot with her uh, crippled dog who suddenly got up and ran away frightened the first, first time it had run in, in years, you know, or in the last couple of years, this type of thing. And when I did measurements on it, and since this happened fairly quickly, uh, before just before I went away, I went over and interviewed her. I did measurements, you know, angles and so on and so forth to, 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 to get the size of the thing. Turns out this thing was actually uh, captured on uh, on radar and was on radar tapes uh, with uh, 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 Moncton Center up in uh, New Brunswick. And um, so it was a pretty good report, you know, and uh, the... Uh, uh, I've always, uh, I've always looked, kind of liked the case myself because it had a, a report. But anyway, the, this particular object uh, over the lot, if you do the angles, you know the 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 circumference of her, uh, the tree circling her house, and the uh, height of the trees and the the maximum level from the UF or from the radar report was able to determine this thing was probably about 3,600 foot, 3,600 uh, 3600 feet on a side. Um, so, you know, three sides at about 3,600 feet. That's a pretty big object. Well, we are getting reports, more and more reports, it seems, worldwide of these uh, immense triangular craft, so large that when you look up at them, they obliterate the night sky. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, what this one did. Hovering, almost like giant box stores. Yeah. Hovering. What, what is your sense? What, what, why, why the increase in sightings of these types of craft? Is this some sort of black ops uh, project, or are these... Yeah, see, now there's where my my aviation side kicks in. I know there's no way that the uh, military have anything like 3,600 feet on one side. You know, uh, just you can imagine the uh, it's not only the length, you know, the, the length of the sides, but now you're going to have a depth in this thing. You know, it has to be a certain thickness in order to support itself. You know. What about a stealth dirigible? No, this, I mean even now the the, the biggest they're going to, they've got is about 250 feet, and they're working up to maybe 300. Now, mind you, back in the uh, in the Zeppelin days, uh, early Zeppelin, I think they had one that was about 600 feet long, but um, structured. But uh, these things are you know were very unwieldy and so on, not triangular shaped or anything like that. Uh, and there doesn't there's, there just is no military background for it. And, and there's no excuse for it either. There's no no need of it. Um, why they would put all this money out and then they're spending all this money elsewhere, you know, on uh, conventional aircraft, um, I, I don't know. It just it just doesn't rhyme. There's no rhyme or reason to that, you know, to the uh, military military secret military explanation. And we've been getting that ever since uh, Ken Arnold, right? Right. Uh, you know, oh, it's a secret military aircraft. But you know, how many years has gone by since that? Now almost seventy. And but yet no military aircraft has shown up to explain that one away, you know, or in, it, that could do what these things could do even back in uh, 1947. Right. I wanted to get your take on uh, back in 2005 when former Canadian Defense Minister uh, Paul Hellier came forward to talk about UFOs yeah. here at the University of Toronto. Were you present at that? Uh... I wasn't at the meeting, but I I knew of Paul Hellier from back in his day when. Uh, when he converted the forces over to the... Yeah, not a very popular decision. No, it wasn't at that time. It wasn't popular with me either. <laughs> but I was really surprised when he came out, you know, and you know, I knew he was the defense minister. I knew exactly who he was as soon as his name was mentioned. That was, uh, you know, because I'm old enough to go back that far. 
and uh, but the uh, uh, yeah that was uh, that was quite surprising and it sort of gave the uh, Canadian uh, side of it uh, legs you know in the states they, they constantly refer to him down there and bring him up you know and just to recap for those Victor has of course oh yes well Victor uh, is Vigiani. Fre- Victor Vigiani is a frequent uh, guest on the program here and um, was really instrumental in getting the right honorable uh, Paul Hellier to come forward yeah. or the honorable Paul Hellier I shouldn't say right yeah. honorable although he was deputy prime minister he, he was, was a heartbeat yeah. away that from would being make him right honorable yeah yes yeah. Uh, and uh, basically for those not familiar with what he said that in a nutshell everything we've heard about Roswell for example is true and more yeah the problem with Roswell is getting the documentation, you know, and uh, or you know, getting anybody to admit on the military side. But the thing of it is, now 1947, the people involved back then, uh, like Stan Friedman says, you know, you're pitting yourself against the Undertaker, you know, trying to get the witnesses before they pass away. It is. It's a race with yeah. the Undertaker. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Stanton Friedman, uh, any word on his uh, his health? I know he yeah, suffered a heart attack. Yeah, I understand he's uh, recovering nicely and he's going to be okay as far as I know. I've got sketchy information from Paul Kimball, uh, who I was emailing with uh, back a few days ago. About, I didn't know myself until uh, probably about four or five days ago that Stan had had a heart attack because he was uh, going concerned there. Well, we pray for a full recovery. Yeah. He's uh, one of the giants in the field. Listen, Don, thank you for joining us tonight, and congratulations on the uh, the new mystery suspense novel, Bloodshock. This is new territory for you. Yeah, it is. Yeah, just go to uh, Amazon.ca and pick one up, or, or you know, or find out where they they are and, and what bookstores and no one. I'd much appreciate it. Okay, Don Ledger, the Maritime UFO Files, and of course, Dark Object, which highlighted the Shag Harbor UFO incident. Thanks again, Don. Well, thanks very much for having me, Richard. All right, and my thanks to Tim Spreen for production. Back next week with a brand new show. Hope you'll be along. Rosemary Ellen Guiley will be with us with our monthly paranormal news roundup. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.